Well, the continuing saga of our hapless prophet Jonah. Let's just recap. Week one, Jeremy talked about Jonah running from God, getting pitched overboard, being swallowed up by a great fish. And Jeremy reminded us that God's mercies follow us to the darkest places. And I love your last sentence in your sermon two weeks ago, Jeremy. Who knows what strange shape grace might take when it swallows us up and carries us to places we never dreamed of? And then last week, Ryan reminded us of Jonah in the fish's belly and described it as perhaps resting in the womb of God's grace. He talked about surrendering to that grace and allowing yourself to be reborn because of God's mercy, grace, and kindness that surrounds us. So we come to today's piece of the story. It begins with a great burp, and the prophet finds himself back on shore. It's like the Sunday school teacher who told the Jonah story to her class and then asked the children, so uh, what lesson do we learn from this story? And one young lad answered, well, it shows you can't keep a good man down. Well, Perhaps that's not a good description of Jonah. Good, as we think about him. The fish couldn't keep him down, but perhaps it was because of the indigestion, not because Jonah was so good. Because this prophet doesn't have a very good track record. Back in 2 Kings, the evil king Jeroboam was on the throne of Israel. And he asked the prophet Jonah if he would win an upcoming battle, if the king would win an upcoming battle. And Jonah assured him that he would be the winner. And then Amos came along and prophesied the opposite result. Amos got it right. Jonah got it wrong. Then God called Jonah to Nineveh, and Jonah ran the other way. God uses the big fish to give Jonah a wake-up call. And even the fish can't digest this door prophet and spits him up. But God called Jonah a second time. Go to Nineveh, modern Mosul in Iraq. From Jerusalem to Tarshish, which is modern Gibraltar, was about 5,860 kilometers. And that's the direction that Jonah was heading. It's like going from Edmonton to Guatemala, quite a long distance. But God called Jonah to go to Nineveh, a distance of 1,321 kilometers, similar to hiking from Edmonton to Vancouver. So Jonah set out, trudge, trudge, not a trivial journey. One of the fascinating things about the book of Jonah is the character studies that it offers. It gives us some models for consideration and learning. Maybe we can learn something about ourselves from Jonah. I've enjoyed over the years observing and learning from various friends, family, and work colleagues. 
And perhaps you, too, have learned from others around you as you have experienced them and observed them. My my brother-in-law, Vic, we used to refer to Vic in the kitchen. He was such, had such a servant heart. He was always cleaning up after their many events of hospitality in their home. I think of one of my bosses, Bill, who was a wonderful team leader and taught me so much about leading as part of a team. I thought, think about my, call my boss, Doug, who was, taught me about decisive action. He was a person who always knew exactly where he thought we should be going. I think of another work colleague who was a leader who will remain anonymous, but his characteristic was constant deception. He never seemed to be able to tell you the straight story and always skewed it one way or another. I think about Joyce, who I live with and have been married to now for five decades, her sense of compassionate justice that has taught me so much. So many people have taught me things that I have tried to emulate and incorporate into my own character and action. Some have demonstrated ways of believing and character that I would choose to do differently. They're not my ideals. So I've learned both positive and negative characteristics that I want to emulate. Well, what about Jonah? Probably Jonah demonstrates more characteristics that I'd rather not emulate. He got that earlier prophecy wrong. He heard God and ran in the opposite direction. He needed the shock treatment of the big fish. He then came to this reluctant surrender where he trudged on his way to Nineveh, and he was angry at the result seems to me that Jonah's biggest issue was that of surrender. He wanted to follow his own way and not be bothered with God's call to serve. I do recognize that in my own life and motivation. My comfort zone feels pretty comfortable. I'd rather just hunker down and stay there. Nineveh, you know, is a long way off. I remember in a Bible study group back when we lived in Calgary, our friend Norma, and she didn't want to surrender to God, but she was, because she was absolutely convinced that God would send her to Bolivia if she did, and she didn't want to go there. So Norma had this struggle with surrendering to God's will in her own life. Well, what might surrender mean? Surrender might mean forgiving someone who has hurt us or offended us. It might mean showing compassion or working for justice or trading a bad habit for something more life-giving or advocating for someone on the margins or taking time to listen over a cup of coffee or a phone or Zoom connection in these COVID days or just being open to letting God help examine all of who we are, or letting go of something that troubles us or drags us down instead of letting God direct us. In his little devotional volume titled Christian Maturity, E. Stanley Jones talks about releasing our tensions 
about anything and everything and surrendering them to God. He relates being himself wakeful one night and anxious and hearing God's voice saying, I've got your burden. There's no reason for both of us to carry it. I can do that better than you. So you release it to me. And Jones goes on to recommend developing the habit of immediately releasing tensions and anxieties to God. Father, into thy hands I commend my problem. That's a mature response for us as Christ followers. Jonah never seems to recognize or getting around to making a full surrender to God and continues in his grumpy, unsatisfied existence. But he does eventually, reluctantly, get on with his task. Jonah gets to this great city, walks about a third of the way into it, proclaiming his message. Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. You know, in Hebrew, that message is only five words or in Akkadian, which was the language of the Ninevites, a similar number of words. So a very short message doesn't have much amplification to it. Jonah seems to give as little info as possible to ensure that they didn't repent and find God's grace. He tries to sabotage almost what God's called him to do. But he proclaims God's message. And what a response. There's total repentance. The king, the nobles, all of the humans, even the animals repent in this story. All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their lands. They shall cry mightily to God. And God changed his mind about the calamity, and he did not do it. Jonah doesn't even get halfway through the city. He shouts out his five-word sermon, and everything changes. Revival! Jonah the preacher must have been elated at this amazing response to his sermon. Wrong. Very displeased and angry was our Jonah. He wags his finger at God. See? I told you this would happen. And Jonah suggests he'd rather die than live because of this turn of events. What a grump. Not a very appealing model to emulate. So what else can we learn from this Jonah narrative? Well, the other major player in this story is God. There are Jonah's creedal confessions. In chapter 1, verse 9, Jonah refers to God as the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land, the creator, the almighty who holds all things in his hands, worthy of worship and praise and honor, an awesome response. That tells us about the nature and character of God. And then at the end of today's scripture passage in chapter 4, verse 2, I knew, God, that you were gracious and compassionate or merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent from punishing. In the midst of Jonah's pouting, we catch a glimpse of the nature of God. 
This is a God of great mercy. Through the story, he saved those Gentile seamen. He saved Jonah. He saved the Ninevites. God of great mercy. I'm not always fast to uh, deliver mercy. The human response finds it easier not to forgive, to hold a grudge, to take revenge, to be hurt. And I confess that I'm sometimes there. But I want to learn this lesson of mercy. God models a new way for us to relate to one another. Turn the other cheek. Go the second mile. When wronged, forgive. Corrie Ten Boom, in her book, The Hiding Place, describes her um, situation as a Jew in a Nazi prison camp, along with her sister Betsy. And both of them were cruelly treated, to the point that her sister Betsy died in that prison camp. After the war, Corrie went to church and saw one of the guards from that prison there worshiping in that church. And she was conflicted. She knew that this was someone who had led directly by his actions to the death of her sister Betsy, who had treated her despicably as well. What should she do? She knew she must forgive. And so God gave her strength, enabled her to approach, to shake hands, and to offer mercy to that man. And she writes, Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. We learn that our God is a God of great mercy, and our God is a God of great love, abounding in steadfast love. It's so wonderful to be loved. What a gift to receive. What a gift to give. And while human love may sometimes fail us, God's love is consistent and unlimited. God loves the world. God loves you. And this is a God who cares for all. God wanted all to be delivered. That's why Jonah was sent to Nineveh, this sinful, evil, wicked city. God invites us to be part of caring for the world. St. Francis, in his prayer, says it well. Make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is darkness, light. Well, what about us in our response to the book of Jonah, to this journey of this prophet? Well, this is a motivating message that we read. We have an opportunity to respond. It has to do with our response and concern for what is honorable and right and good and pure and just. People of faith, people of faith need to take action and live in ways that reflect the faith within them. This is a call to action. It's a merciful message. We see things through the perspective of God's eyes. The response is not, well, they sinned and then they, therefore they deserve whatever punishment they get. The message is one of mercy. God is quick to be merciful and compassionate. And so should we live that way. It's a missionary message. It's 
It's a message for the whole world. We can share God's truth with the whole world. It's not something to be hoarded. God so loved the world. But all of that requires surrender. It's a radical commitment to live, to listen honestly for God's direction, to have the courage to step out in action and depend on God's spirit to give us the power and blessing to be effective. It's so easy to focus on ourselves, to be self-serving. What do you need to surrender? Is it something internal, an attitude, a resistance? Is it something external? You know you should do something, but can't bring yourself to take that step out. Is it something relational? A person who needs you to connect with them in order that they and you might move forward in that relationship? Is it something spiritual where we're blocking God speaking into our hearts and lives? God is always open, even if we've avoided God for a long time. What do you need to surrender? The social prophet Bob Dylan, in his song, You're Gonna Have to Serve Somebody, says it this way, You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite, but with a long string of pearls. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. God invites us to surrender. Who are you going to serve? <laughs>